everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is one of the top executive coaching voices in the world. He is a coach who helps entrepreneurs find more time, energy, and clarity. He works on time optimization, mental wellness, understanding subconscious motivations, and creating a growth of focused mindset. I'd like to welcome Lewis Thompson Mill to our show. Lewis, how you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you to have me. It's it's so awesome to have you here. I'm really excited about today, by the way. I know it's it's only 7 a.m. in New Zealand and you know, uh, you're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to go. But would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe throwing a fun fact that most people don't know about you? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm full of fun facts. Uh, too much, <laughs> according to my wife. Uh, that's probably the first fun fact. Yeah. Uh, look, about me, it's it's a fairly typical story of, of hyper-competitive burnout through a corporate industry. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the Fortune 100 industry, and then I jumped over to not-for-profit. I'm sorry, where do we where do we draw the line on profanity in this podcast? Are we okay with mild? Just be Great. yourself. <laughs> really? I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> unapologetically you, but I do disclaim that. Very no, nice. Look, I, essentially, I would just work my ass off continuously, and I would hit burnout, and I kind of hit a point with corporate where I went, you know what, fuck this. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm done. I'm done. This is my fourth burnout, or third at that point. And uh, it's, it's too much of a pattern. Clearly, clearly after three burnouts, it's the place I worked at that was the problem, right? Definitely the place I worked at. So I went to not-for-profit and I thought, yeah, this is great. I loved it. So I thought, oh, I'll jump back in corporate. Clearly, I've got my stuff together. Uh, I hadn't. I burnt out again and then immediately went back to not-for-profit and burnt out another time. So I was like, look, this is, this is a common denominator here, right? Uh, my own personal history is is deeply marred in trauma and uh, a lot of a lot of complexity. Uh, I was homeless twice. Well, there's a fun fact. I was homeless twice. I've been morbidly obese uh, at one point in my life. I think the conversion is about 350 pounds. Um, now I'm not that, thankfully. Uh, it's It's been a pretty rough ride early on in my life. So I'd always spent a lot of time with therapy, a lot of self-development, but I was very convinced of my own moral and intellectual superiority. So clearly the problem wasn't with me. And I kind of had to step back at one point and go, you know what, there's, there's probably some bigger common denominator that I can't just quite put my finger on. Somehow, everywhere I go, burnout keeps following me. Uh, <laughs> eventually, obviously, as slow as I was, that clicked. So I spent a lot more time in the mindset space. I spent a lot more time in uh, direct self-development, meditation space, wellness space, stuff like that. I'd always dabbled through the burnouts, but just enough to get back into my corporate career and hit the next major project. So. I really doubled down uh, and I'd always been coaching throughout the entirety of it. So it kind of forced this, I don't know, I don't know what the best translatable term is, but a come to Jesus moment where it was kind of like, okay, I either need to do this full time because I love it and I need to stop lying to myself or I could just go back and make a lot of money and be miserable again. So where am I going? 
so then I thought, all right, well, here we go. And Isn't just give that- it a shot. Isn't that something? The more money you make, the more miserable you are for some of us, right? Strong correlation. Strong correlation. Why do you feel that is? I think that one's actually kind of the most obvious. You, you, the only thing you're chasing is money and then you get it and you're like, um, okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I guess I'll buy some more shit then. Um, like you become the person who's hard to buy for because you have everything you need and you're like well why, why do i keep trying to get more money then and and your purpose and identity is just tied into that right and it doesn't even exist it, gosh, doesn't, it doesn't even exist you haven't done so this is the key to transition point right and to the to the name of the podcast obviously nice angle <laughs> but the the key there is that your identity is the chase. You have no identity. You have no purpose. You have no drive. You have no deeper meaning. And because you have none of that, when you achieve it, you just seek the next one because you're instinctively chasing the next dopamine escalation, right? So it it's the absence of identity and it's filled with the void of, I am now this person at work. You see it all the time with martyrs and burnouts and workaholics. I am the hard worker at work. Uh, no one can outwork me. No one, no one can grind harder than I can. You're like, okay, but can you also be a person and tell me about you? Mm-hmm. Right. But that doesn't exist because the void has been filled with the thing they have to do because survival has pushed them into it in an early point in their lives. So now, the absence vacuum. Oh, so, so upsetting. How long were your runs? So you went from corporate to nonprofit, back to corporate, back to nonprofit. Ooh, the the final corporate dash, I want to say, lasted less than six months. And then, right. what was the what was the cause of your burnout? Ooh, which one? Let's start with the first. Let's go first, Let's second, third, fourth, because I mean, there there had to be an escalation process, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Hey. So, no, sorry. Oh, oh, yeah, there had to be an escalation process. But then, what made you think that you had it figured out to go back to the same place that burnt you out in the first place? Yeah, well, as I told you, my identity was being the smart guy. Oh. <laughs> I figured it out, obviously. <laughs> and then I did it again. So you're like, whoop, Mr. Variable. Um, look, it's that vacuum, right? I had a deep, as I said, deeply traumatic upbringing, deeply traumatic childhood. So I was home when I was homeless at two different times. And both of those taught me a very simple lesson, right? My survival lesson. We get patterned, we get conditioned, we get fed these these. Uh, affirming behaviors and then we get success from them so we just kind of build on them right and mine was go somewhere figure it out start low and grind but that then becomes over a pattern repeating process your identity because again the void the vacuum so the patterns and the behaviors became my identity i became the grinder i became the guy that got given the crappiest projects the hardest stuff to push along the stuff that was losing the stuff that was failing the teams that weren't working together and I would go in and make it work. But I would do that through the expense of my own lifeline, right? My, my effort, my energy, my enthusiasm, my passion, all this kind of stuff. There was very little outside that to enjoy life, be life, just be. So I did that in the most toxic and wrong way possible. I achieved great results, obviously, and it got me success, which further reaffirmed the negative patterning. Mm-hmm. So if your identity is built on a foundation of, I don't want to say lies, but, but an outdated belief, and we never fact check that, well, then we just keep layering on success stories because it's easy for us to, to write ourselves off as a cost, right? One of the biggest things I end up saying to a lot of my clients is you are not an acceptable cost. 
Mm. You almost need to set affirmations for that. You almost need to set reminders for that. You're not an acceptable cost. I see this all the time with executives. I used to spend a lot of time working with executives, even in my own corporate career, my own executives. And they would immediately, this is the rationale. Okay, all I need to do is work for the next 72 hours, but then we can get this and this and this and this and this. Uh, but that's okay. We just won't sleep today. And then we're going to go and do it. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pull it down a second. You're not an acceptable cost. But they just put it on a shelf. It doesn't matter. That's how I identify. I'm the guy who doesn't give a shit about himself. Or the, quite frankly, more often, woman who doesn't care about themselves. Mm. Right? That's an acceptable cost always. And that's mm-hmm. half of the problem. Because then you get to this, you realize it's hollow. And then you suddenly are aware that, of all the sacrifice you have given to it. And this disparity then becomes the very obvious thing that goes, whoa, what the hell have I done with the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years in some cases? Yeah, wow. Now, I, w- I want to hear more about you and your story, your upbringing. Mm-hmm. You talk about traumas and being homeless and twice. Um, how, how was your environment growing up as a child and, and you know, up to your corporate life, your first burnout? A mixed bag. Uh, the first 10 years of my life, very early on, my mother and father separated. Uh, they they basically asked me to pick a parent, so I moved in with my father. And then I lost track of my mother entirely. She went off grid. Um, there was some disparity or some problem there between the two of them, and they didn't want me to be involved with both, whatever. Parent stuff, mm-hmm. right? I was young. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up with my father until he was 10. He was my whole world. Uh, both my parents were adopted, so we had no extended family. And uh, at the age of 10, I came home one day and he had died. So Mm. at that point, I reached out to a series of friends. Uh, I had some acquaintances and a half-brother from one of my father's previous marriages that I was in contact with vaguely. Uh, And he actually had been in contact with my mother. So he got us back in contact. And at the age of 10, I effectively met my mother again. Uh, What followed was kind of a four- to six-year period of of alcoholism and abuse. Mm. So the, the first time I was homeless was essentially a turning point where she decided to move out of town. And I went, look, I, I'm not doing this. I'm not following you around to the next place. And she's like, get out of my house then. And I did. How old were you? I wish, I wish that, was, that was way juicier as a story, but it was literally a decision point where, where it was like, I got to take a, a, a step. And she had half kicked me out. So I just kind of put my foot out the door. Uh, I believe I was about 15, 15 and a half at the time. Wow. Um, she met up with someone new, effectively kind of tried to sort her life out uh, towards my age, 16, 17-ish. I had started getting some traction at that point, and she was like, look, I want to try and make it work. want to try and renew the relationship, move back in, so move back in. Uh, that that very obviously wasn't the case, and uh, then I went I went back out pretty quick after that. That second one was, was almost my, uh, my call. Uh, at that point, I was like, look, this is actually a better option for me. Mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. And then where'd so you go then, from there? A lot of work. A oh. lot of work. So I, through high school, I was working part-time jobs after high school to kind of cover my cost of living in, in high school. Um, through into what we call the tertiary education here, right? The junior university college type mm-hmm. deal over, over your way. Uh, I was essentially doing 18, 19 hour days. I would do my, my courses, my study, go work one or two part-time jobs, sleep for a couple of hours, get up, repeat the cycle to try and get some tertiary education. Uh, thankfully, through that, secured a pretty strong part-time job and, and my tech career kind of grew off from there. I had a point in that and went, 
at that point I was ridiculously morbidly obese because life was, was pretty tricky and, you know, food's a great way to just eat, just eat all your emotions, pro tip, mm -hmm. just eat mm -hmm. them all. It's delicious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I kind of had a, a, a dawning, dawning point. I was in a terrible relationship. My weight was just out of control. My health was terrible. I was barely sleeping. I went maybe three years sleeping two or three hours a night, chronic insomnia. Um, and it just became a conditioned behavior. After that point, I went, this, this shit has to change or I'm going to die. So just, I, I literally walked out that day of that relationship. You may see a pattern, kind of just get to a point and go, oh, this is, I'm done. And walk off, which, which was also a terrible way to deal with things, right? But it was a very immature way to deal with things, but it worked for me in that situation. So I, I literally changed overnight. Mm. literally overnight went, this is not sustainable for a life. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to do. Again, convinced of my own self-importance and self-intelligence, figured that I'd figured it all out and I'll just walk away and do it all. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 21, 22-year-old. Uh, and then essentially just tapped all of my networks, tapped all of my connections and went, where can I get into some kind of corporate gig that allows me some ladder for improving my lifestyle? And the rest, as they say, was history. I can't even picture you morbidly obese. You look like a, a special forces uh Ooh. sold yeah you you look I'm good coming, i'm coming back to this podcast thank you very yeah, much yeah, yeah. i'm definitely coming back that's brilliant um, that's my thanks. enticement <laughs> thanks yeah. thanks the the passing fascination of my life was martial arts since i was maybe three and i could never afford to do it until i was an adult and i became the the 350 plus pound dude trying to do a push-up in a karate class at the age of, of 22 23 it was hilarious uh but within say nine months i was kind of leading the class on it so i just went all in was good which is and a, since then just stayed as fit as i can which is a testimony to your ethic your work ethic man that's amazing in itself you know uh and then so you go to your first corporate job so what led to your burnout how did you rise through the ranks how did you get to where you were going and then what caused you to say you know what i can't do this anymore that one's a fun story so i like most people didn't think I was burnt out to, to this day. I mean, there was, there's always a part of me that's like, were you though? Were you? So, so the, when we do things, when we build false identity, right? I don't want to get too meta here, but when we build a false identity, it's usually based on a series of in a narrative self story, right? All quite frankly, the bullshit I tell myself about myself that may or may not be true, but that's how I operate now. Right. And we all have this in various ways and different levels and some we're aware of some we're not. I mean, you could argue that the vast majority of benefit in the coaching business is just to call out those nonsense self stories and go, but this let's fact check this where and how can we build a better narrative? So for me, the paramount one was as evidenced through everything I'd done to that point and survived, I can figure it out and I can do it. I just need to keep pushing and I can push harder and faster and longer than anyone else. So I'll just do that over and over again. So I had started very low. Uh, it became very obvious very early on that I had an aptitude for leadership. And I say that because everyone kept putting me forwards for leadership roles. So within under six months of being in my first CSR, we call them CSRs, customer service rep, right? Your usual phone jockey type, mm -hmm. type stuff for a major tech corporation. At that time, they were Fortune 75. And within six months, I became team leader of that team. Within six months of that, I, I stepped over to a key account account management team. And within six months of that, I became team leader of that team. And I did that because I would do the same two things over and over again. Outwork everyone, constantly ask how I could help the rest of my team achieve more. 
And I didn't realize at the time, but the modality I was using for that was coaching. Hmm. Where are you stuck? What are you doing? How are you addressing it? Where can you do it? Let's figure something out together. And I would do this over and over and over again because I used to do it to myself. I was self-coaching to get that performance out of myself. So I was just working with other people to do that. How, how that got to a burnout point, there were several country hops. I've worked all over the world for the, this, this corporation. It just kind of escalated way into the tech space. I ended up doing project delivery and major software design, uh, solution architecture, business intelligence, project management. So I just kind of got sent to the US, Malaysia, Australia, Singapore, Philippines, all these kinds of things. So it all just kind of happened, right? You get caught up in the flow of, of productivity and success and you think you're amazing. Uh, the, the first notable point of burnout was someone I'd had some strong conflict with, uh, an immediate manager I'd had some extremely strong conflict with for probably about eight or nine months. And I just finished having a very large, we call them blowouts, but essentially a very large argument, a very audible and embarrassing argument with that manager in public because that's the way they chose to speak down to people. And it's, it's easier to, to do that. That way people don't fight back if everyone's looking at you. And I kind of sat down at my desk and, and literally one half of my computer screen just went blank. You know, me being me, I went, that's weird. I've never seen a computer screen die just like half. Should to turn it on, turn it off, nothing. Turn it on, turn it off. What is this? Restart my computer. This is bizarre. And then I realized that actually it wasn't just the screen. Literally half of my visual spectrum had just dropped off. Wow. I was completely blind in one side. Uh, and it was terrifying. But at that point, it was still a what's called a cognitive disconnect, right? The shock of it hadn't quite. I was like, it's wow. weird. Maybe I can just rest. So I closed my eyes and rested for a while. Didn't really come back. And I'm like, hmm, this is a problem. That's okay. I'll figure it out. And then the second side started getting blurry. And I'm like, oh, oh. shit, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> I found a, a coworker nearby, a peer of mine at the time, and said, hey, there's a GP over the road. I think I need to go. I'm really having some serious trouble seeing. I need to go over the road. I went over there. Uh, it was an older Indian guy, a Siddharji, and, and he was a really awesome dude, a really, really aged GP. And within about three minutes, he's like, yeah, you're stressed. He literally just put headphones on me and said, go sit in that corner for the next 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, sure enough, it just the blood pressure came down. The, I think it was like Enya or some ridiculously old school <laughs> track. It was great. Uh, and all I remember is like deafening white noise, static, and then the music, and then vision slowly coming back. So that was my first kind of precursor. Hey, something's up. But I was well, well past, well past safety measures at that point. Uh, and that, that one took me probably a good six or nine months to recover from in terms of I was doing blood checks frequently. I went in all kinds of mental health programs, went in all kinds of fitness programs, constant blood work, trying to figure out what was happening. I was just like, what the hell is happening to me? I don't get burnt out. That's not a thing, not. right? It's not a thing. It's not a thing. I was just too weak at the time, clearly. So there has to be a disease at play, right? Mm -hmm. I was searching for a reason that wasn't just taking ownership because ownership was scary. So that was the first one, and it was terrifying. There's yeah. that fear. And then so what What led you to believe that nonprofit would be any better, that mm -hmm. you wouldn't get burnt out with a nonprofit, that, you know what, that's probably the best move for me. I can keep my vision if I go work with a nonprofit organization. <laughs> Beautiful question. Honestly, I was just kind of sick of greed. I was I was sick of destroying myself, encouraging others to destroy themselves, building teams to destroy the bank balance of others, 
to who I'm not going to name who I was working for. Uh, but, but you know, it's, it's pretty much, honestly, if you've ever worked in a fortune 500 at all, this is the game, mm-hmm. but, but it became very obvious to me and it became very, uh, almost disgusting to me at that point. It, it became like a, look, this is why, why just so much why. So my search for why led me to there's a not-for-profit in the area. They're not paying as well, but they're very close by. And at that point I was like, dude, I'll take anything. I'm, I'm out. But there was also a core piece of me that was like, well, if it's not corporate and it's not for profit and the thing I'm rebelling against at that time is profit, I'll just 180 that. I'll go for the thing that's not for profit. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that of course, of course it is. Uh, mm-hmm. They just define the word profit in a different way. But that was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. The people were amazing. The community was amazing. My own tendencies led me to another burnout in the not-for-profit space, but but it was definitely less severe. It was much longer to do. Everyone else was calling it out. It was a much more supportive environment. It was really, really nice. It's probably the best way to put it. It was just really nice after a, an intense corporate career. So it was more the, uh, nope, I'm walking out, 180 that. I'm going to go find something that is not that is not this and start from there. And so burned out, almost losing your vision, completely burnt out. Health is bad. So then you decided Mm -hmm. to redo the cycle. So back to corporate, back to burnout, back to nonprofit, back to burnout. What was the point that said, you know what, I'm going, I'm just going to work for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to be coach. I'm going to do what absolutely fulfills me. I guess the question, the easier question was, where did you find purpose Jerry, does he, does he do this? The easiest question is the biggest question of life. Uh, it's easy though. Just here's an answer. No. Um, <laughs> where did you find purpose? God, look, that's actually a good answer. Yeah, it you is. You said God, you said God. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not necessarily how I align or other people align, but yeah, true, that's true. That is, a good, that's that is true. a good space. Um, mm-hmm. purpose became very clear to me when I started helping people. And the more I helped people, the more I realized that every modality methodology or way of generating income I had believed was wrong. I had believed it was a certain path, a certain pattern. I was conditioned to go in a certain way. So therefore, if I wanted more of that, my only path was the same ladder. And uh, there's a great, uh, there's a great allegory. uh, And I can't remember who said it off the top of my head. I apologize, but you climb the corporate ladder of success to realize you were on the wrong ladder to start with. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that, that just landed, it resonated so hard with me. I've always had an entrepreneurial streak, uh, irrespective of my parents' methodology of upbringing. They both had their own kind of small side hustles or businesses. My mother had started a couple of successful businesses. I've already always had entrepreneurialism in my, in my mind or in my brain. Uh, I actually found out at New Year's through just a random game of truth or dare that I recalled when I was 11, I shoplifted some stickers because people were collecting at the time and I resold them for a lot of money because I was making money for extra food at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so early on, not a great start. I'm, I'm not saying the supply chain was legitimate, but uh, <laughs> I, I always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak that I never even realized. Uh, and I'd always run side businesses, side hustles, right? So I'd aggressively built side hustles when my child was born and throughout my corporate life. And those were just more fun. They were like my little escape of the day-to-day mm-hmm. grind go figure i want to go work to get away from work but the mm-hmm. work was interesting because i had that control that influence that that learning curve it really it excited me why coaching i had to step back i audited i literally did what i call a skills audit right i went back and went everything that i have accomplished and everywhere that i've done this and every other role i worked at 
a dozen or two other menial jobs throughout my early life. Where was my happiness? Where was my, my most focused, my most energetic, and most importantly, my most passionate? And that became leadership. So I went, okay, let's lead into leadership. What do I really like about leadership? Is it, is it the specific people, the techniques, the tools? What was it? And I realized that common theme of coaching. Mm. When coaching happened, my brain was on. My drive was on. My focus was on. I could do it for 10. I would die, I think, if I did it for 10 to 12 hours a day. It's so high focus. But, but I could happily do it. I could happily try. And then in the not-for-profit space, I was exposed to altruism. I was exposed to giving something back, being proud of what you do for the sake of what you're giving and how giving can make an impact and an impact is what gives you purpose. So mm -hmm. marrying the two after that point became a little bit easier. It took a few months of trying to figure it out and quite frankly, dealing with my own bullshit stories, right? There's no money in life coaching. Life coaching is about crystal waving and sunset pictures on Instagram and all this kind of awesome stuff, which in one hand is true. But on the other hand, there's an entire industry that is not that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I went, okay, let's, let's list them all down, counter every single one of these biases and beliefs and really drill into them, which ironically is a methodology for coaching. Mm. I coached myself into coaching, which is really odd. Did you use any, um, let's see, how do I want to say this question? How did you unravel your mindset from the person who was just overworking themselves to, I, I understand where the altruism came from and and where the coaching comes from, but how did you change your mindset to not burn yourself out in this new uh, in this new arena, this coaching arena that, that you brought on for yourself? Because before you worked for other people, right, and you burnt yourself out, but you still had to be the best. And I can see where your alignment with coaching came in. Uh, the altruism, which is awesome. I think service to others is the only place to be, which is my whole mission in life. Uh, but you can still overwork yourself serving others as well, right? And and so, how did you overcome, in your own words, your own bullshit? <laughs> I love it. Um, it's it's a key tagline, right? My headline on LinkedIn used to be "cut through like zero bullshit, and cut through your own bullshit," right? Because <laughs> because if you can figure out a way to do that, you win. It's really yeah, that simple. Um, I would love to say that it was magical and I would love to say that, that I would, I mastered it inherently because I'm so great at this. The answer is I, I just had to step back and be brutally honest. I literally went to my wife and went, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And her biggest thing was like, no, please, please, no, <laughs> please don't do it again. Um, if you're going to burn out, at least make money while you do it. Don't start a new business. Uh, but she was, she was very supportive of the coaching idea and the direction and everything. It was great. And I went, okay, let's, let's be very, very honest as a relationship because she is the significant other in my life. My wife is my chosen partner. What, 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 what am I going to fuck up? where's this going to be a problem for us, right? What, what are the biggest areas you see that I do that I need to think through? And it was important for me to have that external perspective. And then I went, okay. And now if I sit with myself and I'm brutally honest, what of those am I directly causing knowingly? Because this is the other thing. When we tell ourselves some, some bullshit, we know we're making that call. We just do a really good job of cognitively or in the front of our brain, justifying it to other people right? No one burns out knowing that they're, they're not working really hard. Somewhere there is a value set or a story saying, oh, go and do it. So the decision point becomes go and do it, whatever else will be dealt with. You know, you do this stuff. 
everyone knows they do this stuff. We're just very good at lying about it to ourselves and to others. So I went, okay, let's get raw. It's just me. Hey, me. Let's write it down and really go, okay, how do I address all of these? And quite frankly, there was there was huge resistance at the start of my business from me. My biggest fear of starting my own business was that I would be immensely successful. For the first, I want to say three to five months, I was terrified. I was doing marginal efforts, putting little bits in. And when I really dug to the bottom of that, why am I not doing these things? I was terrified. I have what, what was called a fear of success, mm-hmm. right? People always talk about a fear of failure, but a fear of success is just as debilitating. And I was afraid I was going to repeat these cycles. So I went, great. Where are my safeguards? What can I put in place? How can I do this? And I was investing in my own coaches at the time because if I'm not going to pay high ticket for coaching, why would I expect anyone else to? So I had my own roster of coaches going and I told them all the same thing in different ways. I need you to to keep me top of priority. I'm not an acceptable cost. I need you to keep my wellness game on point. I need you to keep making me a priority to me. I had my business coach, okay, in there I need to understand how and when I'm overstepping, how and when I'm overworking, how and when I can identify that I'm stepping over that boundary and that border, right? And I made sure to keep those two streams going on a constant basis for the first, I'm going to say, 12 months of my business, right? You know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because it's so important. Um, the fear of success is a real thing, uh, but it's so important to have that accountability around you because I, I, too, I've got a business coach. And I've got a spiritual coach and I've got a therapist, right? These are, these are all coaches Beautiful. that I, well, I need them. I need every single one of them to keep me in line because I know if I go a month without seeing my, I call her my spiritual healer, but she's really my therapist. When I, if I go a month without seeing my therapist, things are just not, not right. You know, there, 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 there are areas in my life that she helps me. Uh, just like my business coach, if I go more than two weeks without talking to him, I just feel that things are uh, out of balance. Right. And these are very important aspects. And I'm not I'm not telling everybody to go out and, and get three coaches. You know, that's not this isn't a marketing pitch. Guys. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's, pitch. it isn't. But how it but it's having that community, you know, of like minded right. people that are here to serve, that want to help, that 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 want to listen and can offer success or offer uh, advice that can keep you rolling. So I really I really like that. What a great what a great story. Now, how how do you find balance in your life? What keeps you centered? Ooh, what keeps me centered is an irate toddler. <laughs> they don't give a shit. They don't it. give a shit. Yeah. You have Good the best plans in the that. world, and it's 2 a.m., and they're like, nope, not today, bro. <laughs> oh, you wanted to be productive. You got a podcast in the morning. Tough shit. <laughs> Tough shit. Here we go. Lights on. White noise is off. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> this is also why I like working with with business owners and executives and entrepreneurs that are parents because that joke people like the scariest thing at Halloween, the greatest costume I ever saw was someone with a phone that just said daycare written on it. And I was like (laughs) immediately. Right. So (laughs) with love, we love them. Uh, but, but that keeps me absolutely centered. I have, I have every level of faith that if it was just my wife and I, I would overstep that boundary a lot more often. I, I am doing so much better nowadays, obviously, through coaching and through my own repetition of practice and my own safeguards and systems that I've built to go, okay, what is an acceptable work effort? Where can I overstep? Where can't I overstep? I'm a numbers nerd. I have a business intelligence and process design background. So I'm constantly going, okay, where is my sleep at? Where is my health at? Where is my heart rate at? Where is my shit going off the rails? Okay, how do I bring that back in? And now I recognize the, the importance of strong, 
core work selectively, mm-hmm. right? And I just make sure that I counterbalance that with a routine. I'm, I'm very focused on routine. You kind of have to be when you're morbidly obese and you want to not be morbidly obese. Consistency is the only way to th- get through that. But routine is good. It looks different for different people. I try and maintain a routine. I find I, I instinctively balance better if I have that routine. Like this is the window where I do this. This is the window where I do that. I make going to the gym three to five times a week a priority, irrespective of where my kid's at, where my business is at, where anything is at, because I look at them as performance enhancers, not things for recovery. I meditate once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times daily. That's an important part of my daily cycle. Again, people don't need to do this. I do this because it's the only way I can make my mind shut up long enough for me to actually get some realistic thought. It's just a tool for performance for me. So I reframe the way I look at the things that give back to me now. I reframe them as performance vehicles rather than recovery vehicles. And if you look at them as performance vehicles, you're like, well, why wouldn't I want to be more creative, more focused, more productive? So yeah, I'm going to spend that 10 minutes to go and do this before I get on a meeting, before I get on a call. I meditate before every call for five minutes just to get my own shit out of my head so that I'm giving my full to my customer and full focus mm-hmm. or my client, right? Whereas most people will go, oh, back to back. Okay, I, could, I don't have time for this because the first thing we sacrifice is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing it for the business, for the client, for the outcome, not for me. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I achieve balance. I make it about something bigger than me. Wow, there's a theme. Make it about something bigger than me that isn't me and therefore I'm more inclined to actually do it to help others. Make it part of the service. Well, self-care is one, and you, and you know this, self-care is one of the most important things that you, that you can do, you know, and, and my wife will push me out the door to the gym because she knows that I'm going to come back relaxed and just in a, in a better mood and I can serve my family, you know, better that way. So I love that you said that. Um, how often do you do a self-assessment? I, 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 I can, I can, and I, I, this hasn't come up, but I could tell that you're a self-assessing kind of guy. So I have to ask that question. Uh, I would suggest that there is leftover neuroses that if if I'm being honest, there's leftover neuroses. Um, I'm an analyst by, by build, right? Genetically, I'm an analyst. Everything I've ever done has been a form of analysis, but there's also a neuroses left over from being very, very overweight where I'm constantly evaluating my physiology. And And I mean that daily, daily, I'm like, where am I at? What am I doing? How am I going? What's the diet like? And it's, I'm at a point where that's not in a negative context. There's zero judgment. My big, The biggest part of my coaching practice is everything starts in a baseline of zero judgment, including yourself, right? So mm-hmm. it's about observation and understanding and tracking and metric and where can I adjust and where can I do these things and go, whoops, well, turns out an entire tub of ice cream does affect my weight. <laughs> guess I'll, guess I better keep it, guess I better get back on the wagon immediately, right? So <laughs> it's, it's about observation, not judgment in the wider context. I would suggest almost every time I meditate, I'm doing a form of self-assessment and self-introspection. Mm. I'm, I'm looking at my thoughts. I'm looking at the quality of what's coming through. Are they, and look, everyone has negative, everyone has positive, everyone has cynical, everyone has supportive. It's important to understand and audit the balance of those to get where the predominant arch of thought lies. So I, I tend to do that almost daily, I would say. And then l- there's the formalized ones for the business and stuff like that. I love that. Uh, Cause you mentioned earlier that we all, have the we, we lie to ourselves all the time mm-hmm. you know and, and by self-assessing regularly it's a way to keep that in check too you know to, to 
keep those false beliefs out, to keep ourselves focused and centered on where we need to go. Huh. Absolutely. I'm writing that down. I'm going to start self-assessing more often. Let's do it. No. So now in, in today's fast-paced without world, judgment. without judgment, no, without no judgment, judgment here. It's good. I, I, I spent the first half of my life judging, you know, including myself. I, so I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> good man. Now, in, in today's fast paced world, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed and, and get sidetracked by all the noise that's going, going on. How do you stay focused on your purpose with everything around us? Staying focused on my purpose becomes easier when the methodology for achieving my purpose is my purpose. Let me kind of elaborate a little because that was a little vague woo woo um the my my purpose is to to see and be part of the change for others right that's what really lights me up it's it's how i give back it's my impact all these things and the methodology of of coaching is the way in which i choose to do that my overwork and this is actually the inverse of your example or kind of makes it worse i guess but doing doing it keeps me on purpose and the only way of overworking is to be more on purpose and more on point. Mm. So I have to reframe the way I look at that, right? Keep myself as an accountable measure. Keep my, my wellness as an accountable measure. I find if I can do those, I can limit my time giving back effectively. And in, in the age of overwhelm, honestly, I'm just a lot more aware now of what my triggers are, my early warning signs, uh, what, my, my, what I call my bullshit my my bullshit alarms right if i get to a point and i'm doing something i'm like no i just i can't i can't spend any no no i can't do that right now i need to do this a little piece of my brain is now conditioned to go whoa whoa can't you or do you not want to Mm. and at that point the decision framework kicks in and goes oh shit i'm doing that thing okay let's step back objectively is it better if i apply focus here or is it can I go and do this thing? And I'm just kind of falling into that pattern, right? So it's this constant self-check-in on, am I following the old patterns? Am I following the old behaviors? Am I compelled to do something rather than desiring to do something? When you are Mm -hmm. compelled, you're being carried by reactivity and automation, right? Mm -hmm. But when you choose to do something, you're doing it with intention and forward-thinking thought. God, I love that. Thanks. Intention and forward-thinking thought. Yeah, being aware of your triggers is so huge. You know, coming from... A lot of background, a lot of trauma in my background. Awareness is one of the most important things. Um, and slowing down and understanding what's going on is just huge. You know, because we Massive. tend to we tend to move at a million miles an hour. I mean, high high output guys. Like I've I've I can relate. I've been the same way most of my life. You know, and not until not until I hit my breaking point and decided mm-hmm. that there's much more than myself, did I realize that, all right, we need to focus on what's going on here. We need to be aware and we need to fix this. Now, That's beautiful. What, what legacy do you, uh, what legacy would you like to leave behind for the world? Damn, I, I love this podcast, man. There's like zero, <laughs> zero punches pulled. You get on some podcasts and they're like, so what's the two-year plan? You're like, what lasting imprint on the world do you want to leave? Exactly. Uh, well, Shit. Uh, <laughs> we're change makers i love it i love talk. it i love it thank god I, I i can't do small talk um i couldn't even tell you what the weather is today okay so what legacy look i think my legacy is unveiling um i certainly have an intention behind my legacy right i want to raise a son or a family that's potentially a second kid soon that 
has an impact on the world also that is living for themselves, but also for others mm. that, that knows that they are not an acceptable cost. Right. I, w- I would just be happy if that's the core thing. Um, in terms of a lasting legacy and look, I've coached people on legacy. Mine's kind of wishy-washy. My, my legacy is I want to have, I want to change the lives of families. Ooh. Right. Just cause, just cause I go in the entrepreneurial space or pivot to a leadership space or any of this kind of shit. I like working with parents because everything I work with them on business, not business optimization, growth, self wealth, mental health, any of this kind of stuff has exponential effects to the family. So it creates better networks, better community, better family. And if I do something that has an exponential return in a family life at scale, then I've made a significantly huger impact to the lives of children everywhere, which, you know, <clears throat> trauma means that <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm giving back to myself. So um, everyone's selfish in their own way. And, and you always do what you wish you secretly had, right? I wish I had that strong, capable parenting structure. I didn't. And that's okay. I got core lessons from them. I pivoted. I adapted. No one's perfect. I understand that. But where and how I can make a, a parent better version of themselves goes back to everyone right yeah wow yeah that gave that gave me chills only because i can relate i didn't i didn't have a strong parenting in fact my my parents divorced pretty early i i had i lived with my mom and and four sisters so there were five girls and one yeah yeah i learned how to put on makeup wear heels all that fun stuff at an early age but yeah (laughs) but i i love I, I love, love, love your legacy, and I can't overemphasize on that more because, you know, the the nuclear family is is really something that's at risk right now, mm-hmm. with with the world that we live in. Everything seems to be mm-hmm. dividing the families apart, you know, and it's so important for the human race to keep families together, you know, and and so what 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 you're wanting to leave behind is truly profound not just for us here on this podcast, but for the world. Right. So thank you for that. Yeah. Actually, that's a, that's a good way. I, I keep myself in check too. Over Christmas, I got messages from family members of my clients. Gosh, that's awesome. Wow. And that, that immediately just snaps you back to reality and gives you a bigger picture, which is just, it's nothing can replace that feeling. Yeah. Sorry. Carry on with your question. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, my, my, Next question is, uh, there are many people out there struggling to find their purpose, to find meaning in their life. What's some advice that you would give to someone who's struggling at this moment? It would be wrong of me to break character now, so do a bullshit audit. (laughs) Right? It it would be literally, this sounds rudimentary and it sounds like it can't change your life, but if you've never done it, it fundamentally will. Sit down late at night once the family's gone to bed or once you're on your own or when you have a quiet space. I say nighttime tends to be darker, less stimulation, et cetera, et cetera. It's neurological. But late at night, get some quiet time, sit with yourself with a pen and paper and be like, what lies am I telling myself that keep me trapped in this shit? Mm. And then, right, where am I not happy with? Because this is the fun part. There are plenty of overworked, burnout people, burnt out people who love what they're doing. They love the cycle. They've found the value. And for them, that is an acceptable cost. And quite frankly, that's okay. You're going to die early, but you've accepted that cost. (laughs) You enjoy life for what it is and where it's at and where you are at that time. And that's okay. It's not about the judgment of that situation. But if there's a piece of you that's like, yeah, this doesn't 
doesn't feel right. And I'm sure you would, and I'm, I'm not sure of your story, Jerry, but I know from what you've just shared, Ray, there's always that voice that just kind of gets louder or quieter at any given time. And there'd be a point where it's so loud, you're like, God, fuck, I guess I got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the time to sit with a piece of paper and be like, what are the lies I'm telling myself that keep me trapped in this cycle? Yeah. A, a really great question I love to offer to people is, what does real success look like to you? Right? Define success. Because often it's not money. It's usually like, I'm happy, I'm healthy, my family's great. I don't have to work. Like, if, if that ever comes up, then you're on the wrong path already, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. that just means your work is wrong. Everyone needs money. Everyone needs mm-hmm. to survive. And then currently, while we need currency, you're going to need to work. So you need to re-engineer that. Is that a business? Mm-hmm. Is that whatever, right? But these are all giant flags for you to go, okay, where and how is this not acceptable? Where and how can I change that? If I had my ideal way, what does this look like? And then that becomes the blueprint. Now, how do I go from state A, customer journey, basic mapping, right? State A to state B or A to Z, whichever terminology you want. This is where I am. It's what I'm trapped in. This is the lies I'm telling myself. If I get through that, boom, underpants profit. Here we go, right? Here's the other one, right? So it's, it's about doing that. Now, whole exercise can only take 10 minutes. It can take 20 minutes. You can sit with it for a couple of hours. It's up to you, right? But it's mm-hmm. it's a one pager and it's really easy because it will at least start reframing the way you see things. It'll bring awareness to your bullshit. I've never said that this 100%. much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do that tonight. 100%. Yeah. Do it. Send it to me. Please send it to me. If you feel comfortable okay. sharing, please yeah. send it to me. I'm happy to give okay. feedback. I will. Yeah. That's do that's it. awesome. Now now, Lewis, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, learn more about you, what's a good website they can go to to reach you? Awesome. Uh, LinkedIn. At this point, my website is down because I'm doing a major rebrand and rehaul or overhaul, I guess. Uh, at this stage, LinkedIn's the easiest way. Lewis TN. Uh, you could look up Be Better Coaching. B.better.coaching. Uh bbetter.nz is my actual website when that's back up but just just hunt me out on linkedin i'm constantly auditing and stalking that place okay and i'll creep i like that yeah me too i'll uh i'll attach your linkedin information to the show notes so man yeah you you definitely need a rebrand top 15 one of the top coaches in new zealand gosh man you're doing awesome and just in our conversation today i had such a great time and i've learned so much about you and i'm really honored to have had the the chance to speak with you and have you on the show today. So I would love to, to invite you back out and have a part two eventually. Absolutely keen to do that. This was amazing. Thank you so much. Well, you got it. Thank you. And, and thanks for being a part of the show today. We've appreciate enjoyed it. doing guys. I've appreciated being here. Balanced purpose podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino and is produced and edited by Jerry Forbeck. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancedpurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancedpurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.